Good morning, church. Lame. Good morning, church. So we are in a series, uh, summer series, called Questions Jesus Asks. And today I want to ask a very simple question that Jesus asked. And that very simple question, what does Scripture say? Now let me set this up. How many of you will admit, men, that occasionally you take a very simple task and you make it very, very complicated? Appreciate it, Jim. Happy 80th birthday to you, too. So, yeah, there was an American cartoonist named Rube Goldberg who uh, drew cartoon pictures of these intricate machines where this made this happen, which made this happen, which made this happen. The game Mousetrap is, is a Rube Goldberg machine. <clears throat> but I need to, by way of confession, tell you about what my son and I refer to as the suitcase. Now, the suitcase is a metaphor for any time that you take something that should have been very, very simple and turn it into something very, very complicated. We do it all the time. But in this particular case, I had this suitcase. It will surprise none of you to know that it was not a very expensive piece of luggage. And I was about to go on a trip to Italy and the wheel was a little bit janky. So instead of doing what anybody, including my wife, suggested, throw it in the dumpster and go to Goodwill, get another one, I said, I can fix that wheel. I can fix that wheel. I fabricated, I ground, I went to Ace Hardware multiple times, Home Depot almost as often, I, I bought a, a bushing that I, I cut with the Dremel tool and then polished it to where I could build an axle with an old bicycle axle, and I, then I could clamp the ends of it, and, and the wheel still didn't work. I think I spent 12 hours on that, and I still hauled that janky suitcase all over Italy, should have realized I spent an inordinate amount of time, way more resources than I could, needed to, way more mental energy than I needed to give it, and I blew past all of the rules, right? All of, all of the principles that should guide this kind of thing. I blew past the principle of common sense. I blew past the principle of risk and reward. I certainly blew past the principle of just read the instructions. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today. We are looking at a place where a guy came up to Jesus and he asked him what was a very simple question. And Jesus gave him a very simple response. And he overly complicated it. So the question, what does Scripture say? Now we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, uh, Luke chapter 10, 
And I need to give you a little bit of the setting behind it. Understand that I believe in every single word in the Scripture. The, the Bible is what God gave us. We may not understand it all. We may not like it all. But it's what He gave us, and, and it's our job to unpack it. Now, as we unpack it, there are some principles that, that guide us. And I want to talk about that more this morning. But basically, as we study the Scripture, we're trying to ask ourselves, what about that Scripture was unique to that time and place and setting and people? And what part about it is for all time, for all people, for all generations? So we get to this place, and, and if you are kind of paying attention over the last several weeks, We've talked about a time in Jesus' ministry, which was about a year before the crucifixion. So you remember that we talked about the transfiguration and the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on the water and the father who, who had a, a sick son. And, and Jesus said, if you believe, he said, if I believe, uh, help me in my unbelief. All of this took place about the same time. And we have more or less the same stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and today we're in Luke. Well, in chapter 7 in Luke... He's probably in Jerusalem. The beginning of chapter 8, we have a definite transition. He, he says, oh, I'm behind, sorry. So simplifying the solutions, the repair revealed dead luggage rolling. It was. So a lawyer comes to him, and, and, and it's in this context of him in chapter 8, moving the ministry to the Galilee, to this, the, around the lake, and the, the scripture in chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, verse 1, chapter 8 says, after this, which means that some time had passed, and now he's in that area around the Galilee. Well, coming out of chapter 9, he said two really important things that we can't miss because all of this is talking about what it means to be a disciple. And so in chapter 9, in verse 23, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 9, 23, 24, 25. And then he says what we've heard before, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but forfeits his soul? And then he says, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, when the sun comes in glory, I'll be ashamed of him. And then in verse 57, same chapter, uh, there were three guys that said they would follow Jesus no matter what. And at the end of the story, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we got to understand that what he's been talking about is what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. Uh, I think I said last week that as the cross got nearer the disciples got fewer <laughs> as they begin to understand, hey, hey, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's not, it's not all what God can do for me. There's a part of it that says, I've got to leave some things behind in order to stay on this path. There, there are some things that are, are required of me, and that's common sense, right? We can't follow something and follow another thing at the same time. 
You can't follow Jesus and his ways and still hang on. That's, that's what he was talking about there. He says, let me first go bury my father. Let me first go uh, tie up things at home. Let me first go. And he says, no one who puts their hand to the plow, no one who begins to follow and then decides to follow something else, that, that, that you're, you're not real. Okay? So that's sort of the setting that flows into this question and so it doesn't surprise us that somebody who's on the religious insider club, kind of like people that have been to church all their lives, know what the Bible says. Their Bible, of course, was the Ten Commandments and uh, the history and the, the prophets and all the things that had been written. We call it the Old Testament. But these people were very, very smart. They had studied it a lot. And one of them in particular was called a lawyer or a teacher of the law. And that doesn't mean he, he practiced law like we would think today. It means that he was an expert in the things of the Scripture. So he comes up to Jesus and he says, listen, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he's been hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom and talk about eternity, talk about the cost of following him as a disciple. And he says, I want some of that. But the scripture kind of buries the lead a little bit here. It says, wishing to test him. Now, we kind of assume that that's hostile, but it's not necessarily hostile. He, he's wanting to debate. He's wanting to, to, to have a, a lively conversation about things of God. He, he, he's wanting to, to, to point and counterpoint. And, and here's this rabbi that's gaining fame. And I, I, I just want to be next to him and hear what he has to say. Now, he's got a, another motive that we're going to learn in just a minute. But, but for right now, he's just saying, let's have a great conversation. Now, what he was thinking about in terms of eternal life, is different than what you and I talk about. He was thinking in the Hebrew term of, of living forever, maybe in this form and maybe in that form, maybe in the bad place for a little while and the good place for a little while, but ultimately living out at peace with God and His kingdom. You and I think about when we die, we go to heaven. We, we think of, a, of an eternal life somewhere. Now, the Hebrews kind of had it right. Everybody has eternal life somewhere. And what Jesus was trying to say is that there is eternal life available for us who follow after God, who, who, and, and that's what this guy's asking. He says, what do I do to get what you've been talking about? So Jesus answered the question with a question but I want to kind of plant in your mind that I sort of think that what's going on in this guy's life is that he's not so satisfied with what he's done so far. He's learned a lot. He's probably earned a lot. But there's just something in him that's a little bit restless. That Maybe I don't know it all, although I'll never admit it. Maybe I haven't seen it all, though I don't really want to admit it. Let's engage in this dialogue, and I'll make sure I don't come up short at all. So Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say? And Jesus, once again, was, was talking about the, the Ten Commandments. He, he's talking about these, uh, these, these, these things of the, the law in terms of the uh, prophets and the history and the poetry. What is written in the law? I want to camp there for just a second. Because it's easy for us to say, well, when Jesus came, the law was done away with. We, we no longer have to worry about what's in the Old Testament, the old set of rules. All we need to know is that Jesus came and he died for us and that we receive Christ based on what he did on the cross and we are forgiven Grace abounds, but that wouldn't be complete. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus demonstrated 5, 6, and 7. He, he demonstrated that he loves the law, that he's, all, he's, a, he's a law kind of fan. And if you think back, the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with our relationship with God. The next six have to do with our relationship with other people. And so when he said to the young man, what does the law say? And the young man said, love God, love people. He was reflecting the Ten Commandments. But the, 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 the rabbi people, the religious people, had added a whole bunch of regulations to the Ten Commandments. And, and they're just like us. We do the same thing. You know, Baptists have a horrible reputation. You can't dance. You can't drink. You can't have any fun. You can't anything that's, that's, that's like a diet. Anything that you like to eat, you can't. And so they, 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 they made all these regulations. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. We went a couple of weeks ago. And if you get into an elevator on the Sabbath, it automatically stops at every floor so that you don't have to push a button on the Sabbath. And that's the, the extent that they had gone. And now Jesus is saying, well, I love the law. And in Matthew, he says, I did not come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. I, I came to make it complete. I, I came to show you what God is really up to with the law. And so what it sounded like he did in the law was the same thing as the rabbis did, is to make more rules. He said, you have heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, if you even look at a person with anger, you might as well have done it. Same with lust. Same with pride. Same with all kinds of things. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and it sounds like he's extending the law. He's not getting rid of it. He's not, by grace you're saved, and that just magic eraser wipes off everything. And when we do sort of the background check here, we see that he's really taken this seriously. But then he does something strange. John chapter 13, the disciples are all together and he says, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you already say love one another in the Ten Commandments? Love God, love people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I'm adding a little bit of a qualifier. Love each other like I love you. So now we've got this lawyer 
who's asking all the questions, and he's saying, okay, what's required? What's the minimum thing I can do to slide into heaven? What do I have to do? What do I have to believe? What do I have to accomplish? What do I have to sacrifice? And Jesus didn't say this, but he should have. You got an eye problem. You got an eye problem. Because what happens is that the law is the mirror that shows us who we really are. The law is a mirror that shows us the sin that's in our hearts and minds. And Jesus took that sin very, very seriously. So when he said, here's the law of love, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. He's not just going, love, love, love. It doesn't matter what anybody does. Love, love, love. He's He's saying, listen, it's a serious thing. And it takes a huge sacrifice to love over that sin. Love covers a multitude of sins, the Scripture says. And so when he saw a woman who was caught in adultery, he says, don't do this anymore. When he he healed a a person who was lame, he said, listen, don't do this anymore because something worse will happen to you. He always connected obedience to the law with faithfulness as a disciple. And yet, here's this young guy who says, what do I have to do? What's the law say, he says? What does the Scripture say? And that's back to that, okay, Alan, what does the Scripture say? What's the context? What's the principle for that time? What's the principle that's universal? Okay, Alan, what does the law say? It doesn't necessarily say what you want it to say. Okay, Alan, what does the law say? It doesn't necessarily support your narrative. What does the law say? It doesn't necessarily tell you that that, that your way is the only way to interpret this passage of Scripture. And what it definitely doesn't tell you is that you have permission to dislike those who disagree with you. I've told you that I'm going to try to do my best to interpret some of the things that are going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, the, the affiliation of churches of which we're a part. And I'm going to send out a letter this Friday, a Friday letter that, that's going to unpack a lot of what I've been thinking about and praying about. But it seems to come to this. There are people who interpret Scripture away. And there are people who interpret that Scripture a different way. Almost all agree that that Scripture is not uh, an essential part of the salvation story, and yet the disagreements over that Scripture have become so uh, animated that the way that these two groups are treating each other, it would be right to ask whether they're Christians at all. Because Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, sacrificially. When Paul talked about how husbands are supposed to love their wives, he said, love your wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially. And so there's this, this, this conversation that's, that's so wrapped up in so many things that when the lawyer says something very, very simple, I can't help but complicate it just a little bit. Because we gotta, we got to get the emotions that were going on in the background. What does the law say? All of the law or just the Ten Commandments? Well, let's, let's go with the law. And the young man says, well, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, sort of defying the whole Rube Goldberg thing, he says, good job. Do that, Sparky. And the guy is just, okay, wait a minute. Can't be that easy. And he started kind of thinking in his head, like you and I do, well, wait a minute. Love your neighbor. Let's get some clarity here. Who is my neighbor? Somebody who looks like me, thinks like me, acts like me, dresses like me, lives where I live. Is, is that my neighbor? And here's the part where he sort of moves off the reservation. The Scripture says, wishing to justify himself. And in my Bible, I wrote, this is where we all get in trouble. We are more interested in spiritual knowledge than spiritual poverty. We are more interested in, in, in the right answers than the righteous attitude towards what God has done for us on the cross. We are more interested in, 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 in what, what, what we have than what we can give away to whoever will believe. So this guy says, well, who really is my neighbor? And all of us have kind of got to admit, we do that. We wish to justify ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Well, at least I go to church. At least I give to the church, and for that I'm grateful. But at least I, and, and we get this comparison thing going on. That's what this guy was doing. That's where he sort of uh, showed us that he wasn't just asking a question that he wanted to debate about. He said, then who is my neighbor wishing to justify himself? Give me somebody to compare myself to. Give me, give me somebody that I can say, oh, check the box, love him. Love God, yeah, go to church. Do you love God? Yeah, read a devotion every now and then. Love God, yeah, there's that podcast thing I listen to. Love God, worship, sing in church, Christian radio. Check. Love people. Eh. Which people? Not him. Not her. And so he said to Jesus, a question that was answered with a question that was answered with a question. So who is my neighbor? And all of a sudden, I think we're in Rube Goldberg territory. And so Jesus said, let me tell you a little story. He said, there's a road, and it goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everybody listening would have known exactly the road he was talking about. From Jerusalem to Jericho, it drops about 3,000 feet of elevation. And so the road is full of switchbacks and hidey places and, and rocks and that kind of thing. And so, so when he says there was a guy that was walking down that road and some robbers beat him up, took all his stuff and just left him there. He said three people passed by, all good Jewish storytellers told things in threes priest, a rabbi, a Baptist pastor walking over. So he says, there's three guys that walk past him. The first two uber-religious people, 
They walked right by because they were afraid they might get contaminated. We can't touch anything dead. He might be dead. We can't get blood on us. There's blood everywhere. We can't uh, associate with somebody who's not like us and he's not like us, headed on to church, going by. Then Jesus says the third guy, and of course that's always the punchline. The third guy stopped and helped him. And everybody's going, good, I'm glad he got some help. But then he said, and that guy was a Samaritan. And everybody went, because a Samaritan was an ethnicity that they didn't like. A Samaritan represented a a people group that they didn't really uh, like. They, 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 They thought they had done some bad things in their past and made some poor choices in the past and they weren't religious enough so so they wrote them off they they hated they despised them and Jesus said but that's the guy that stopped and helped who then is the neighbor and the guy ends our story with well the one that shows mercy and Jesus said then you go and do the same so the parable is the real answer to the question. Whether we're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention and wishing to justify ourselves, we say bad things about other people. What really is involved with being the kind of disciple that you've been talking about in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, now chapter 10. What's involved with being the kind of disciple that gets sent on a missionary trip to Guatemala, to the South Texas border, to uh, Camp Grace? In this case, he sent the disciples out all over the known world, and they saw incredible things happen in the name of God. What is it that makes somebody that kind of disciple. And Jesus said, let's not overcomplicate this. What does the law say? Love God. Love people. Love what people? A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. In another place, he said, love God, love people. This summarizes all of the law and all of the prophets. Love God, love people. You want a litmus test, that's it. Can we say the kind of things we're saying about each other on Twitter and say that we're loving God and loving people? I don't think so. Can we say the kind of things we say about other groups and and say that we're loving God and loving people? No, I don't think so. And so the story ends with with something that started very simple. How do I become a disciple like you're talking about? How do I inherit eternal life? What does the scripture say? Love God, love people. And so we would be left, if we left it right here, if we didn't know in about the rest of Jesus' ministry, we would be left with the thought that all we have to do is treat people nice. And that's what God expects of us. But think about what he did in order to buy that reality. God said, here's the law. What does the law say? And if any of us are deeply honest with ourselves, we will go, I can't keep it all. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. 
And, and yet the only person who is justified by the law is somebody that keeps every single part of it. Every dotted I, every cross T, every compound subject and every hanging preposition. It, it, all of it. And all of us have to say, it's not me. So what's the rest of the story? How, how do we get to a place where anybody can take up their cross and follow him? How do we get to a place where any of us can say that, 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 that we don't want to forfeit our own soul because we tried to hang on to the things of the world? The scripture says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still unable to keep the law, Christ died for us for by grace are you saved through faith and even that faith is not of yourself it's not of your own making for God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have here we go eternal life and so over and over he said you got to understand the background when you say what does the law say we understand that the law is a mirror that we hold up to ourselves and we say we can't keep it all so how can i be saved how can i be right with god how can i be a disciple who's trying to mature in my faith one way and one way only we place our faith in christ and in the work that god did in him and through him on the cross, buried, on the third day he rose from the dead, and he has promised to return again. This is the gospel. When we understand that it's not all about the law, but the law is not as hard as we make it, love God, love people. At this church, we add make disciples and make a difference. That's where we got all of that. And in that we say, if I place my trust in Christ, I am forgiven of my sins. And now I can ask the question, what do I do to stay on the path? What does the law say? Love God, love people. Know the scripture. Live the scripture. Know the scripture. Live the scripture. Would you bow your heads with me? It's very possible, probable, that there's someone here who has never placed their faith in Christ. And you're left wondering, what do I have to do to measure up? Like a young lawyer, what do I have to do to be saved? It's very possible, it's probable, that there's someone here who said, I've done too much, I'm too far gone. There's no way that God could save me. Well, I'm here to tell you he can and does and longs to. And if you were going to place your faith in Christ today, you would say something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can never measure up to the law. But I am grateful that you sent your son to die on the cross so that a sacrifice would be made for my sin and I can embrace him as my savior. I can follow him all the days of my life and I can live with you forever. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for giving me eternity. Now, I don't want to make it oversimplified. 
But it's just like that. We stop following something, we start following something. And if that's your desire today, we have people in the lobby in the connection corner. We have pastors that are all over the room. You see who we are. We would love to have a conversation with you that starts a greater conversation. One where you say, I place my trust in Jesus. We have small groups around here to help us know the Scripture. We have mission teams that help us live the Scripture. This is part of our community, and we would love for you to be a part of that. What does the law say? Love God. Love people. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. If that is your prayer today, let's take the next step. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the songs. Thank you for the community. Help us to know your scripture and to live your scripture. I pray in Jesus' name.